You know, throughout the series of the past few weeks, we've been walking through a lot of the questions that we tend to have for God. Questions that we tend to throw up to God and, and maybe we can't figure out the answers and it sometimes doesn't seem like it all comes back down the way that we hoped it to. And I encourage you that if you've missed any of, this, any of the messages, go to our YouTube page, Impact Pittsburgh, subscribe to our YouTube page and uh, you can see all the past messages and, and catch up if you missed any of those messages from the past. You know, as I was thinking through the questions that we tend to have, I can't help but think about some of the funny questions I've seen kids in elementary school or, or, or young students answer on tests when they just did not have the answer to the problem. You know, for example, I saw this one, a student was asked on a test, where do they sign the Declaration of Independence? And the student wrote, at the bottom. <laughs> on another test question, a student was asked, what ended in 1896? And the student responded with 1895. <laughs> I mean, they're not wrong, right? I mean, you know, so often I think in life, we have so many questions. And sometimes we find answers for ourselves that seem right, but it's just not the correct answer. You know, so often with our questions, we, uh, we try to tend to answer them for ourselves. We try to seek internally what feels right, what, what can we comprehend, what can we answer, whose people that we can kind of align ourselves with to kind of endorse maybe even the answer that I want, and we start to try to answer these questions based upon those factors, and then we find ourselves going down bad paths. We find ourselves with answers that we think are, they seem right, but they're not correct. And as we kind of wrap things up with the message today, can I just encourage you with one thing? With all your questions that you have about God, for God, about life, can I just encourage you to seek God, the creator of everything that is, the one who designed you, the one who wrote the guidebook of life, seek him, stop seeking yourself, Trying to find the answers within yourself. Stop seeking the world and others that you can align to match what you want the answers to be. Will you seek God? And the majority of his answers to guide you through life are in his written word, the Bible. You know, if you just seek him in his word and seek him there, he will reveal himself to you. And never forget this promise that God gave to us. And that problem is he promises wisdom to all those who earnestly seek him. He said, if you seek me, you will find me. And so often we find ourselves in a tailspin in life saying, I can't find God because honestly we're not seeking him, we're seeking what we want. We want the answers we want. And can I just challenge you as we wrap up this series, as questions about life constantly pop into our minds, seek the creator of everything that is. He will reveal himself to you if you honestly seek him. You know, with, but with all the questions that we ask, have you ever wondered, God, what do you want to ask me? That's a scary question because, I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, maybe we don't want God to come and ask us a question because we don't want to try to answer it. You know, it's like if a mom or parent came and said, hey, I have a question for you. Oh, I'm getting out of here. You know, the thing is, sometimes we don't want God's questions because we don't want to have to answer to what he has to ask. 
But you know, more than anything, more than anything in all of this world, God's greatest desire, his greatest desire, what he tried to obtain in the Garden of Eden at the beginning of time, when he created everything, what he tried to have there, and he lost because man ran away. What God tried to regain through sending his son Jesus into this world to die on the cross. What God desires more, what he's been fighting for from the creation of everything that is, is a relationship with you. That's what he desperately desires more than anything else, is a relationship with you. And you know what, my friends? From the beginning to the end, the Bible is the ultimate love story. There is no greater love story ever written in all of the world, in all of history, than God's word written in the Bible. His love for us, his ultimate love for us, his sacrifice love for us. There's no greater love book. And so when I have that all in my mind, and I think about his desire to have a relationship with us and his ultimate love for us of how he created the world, how he gave up his one and only son to die the most gruesome death for us, I feel God's one and big question for us is, do you love me? Do you love me? Simple, straight to the point, but he reveals his heart in this moment. I love you. But do you love me? You know, when we see this question about what is love, I have to be honest, it's hard not to think about the old Saturday Night, Lights, Night, Saturday Night Live skit, Night at the Roxbury's. As they try to answer this question, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Come on. Don't hurt me. No more. Come on. No one's going to sing along with me, huh? I keep trying. But, you know, I feel so often we try to define what is love. I mean, seriously, what is that? And all too often in our world today, we have redefined what love is to match what we want rather than the heart of God. You know, we've defined love based upon our passions, based upon our emotions, based upon what feels right. And my friends, this isn't love. That's not love. Passion, emotions, what feels right is like kindling to a fire. Have you ever started a fire? You put the kindling out there and you light the kindling. But guess what? The kindling just goes, shoo, it burns up and it quickly fades away. Your passions, your emotions, what feels right quickly fades away. It's always changing based upon the circumstances that you are currently in. That's not love. But over time, throughout somewhere in the course of history, in our society, in our world today, we have redefined love to base it upon what feels right for me rather than what is really love. And then when we did that, then we redefined how God is reviewing us when he says, do you love me? And we can't understand this question without understanding the heart and the reality of what is love. What does that word really mean? And so let's start at the very basics. And to understand love as God defines love, let's look at two primary Greek words of love that's used in the New Testament. The first word is 
phileo. Phileo is like a brotherly love. It is kind of a close association with somebody else. It's an acquaintance, maybe a work friend, someone you went to school with, um, or whatever it may be. You know, there's no substantial sacrifice when it comes to phileo love. The love is shown through just a cordial attitude. Maybe I gave you a little bit of my time this week. Um, We had lunch together. You know, this could be anyone from just a close friend to acquaintance, but it doesn't last. It fades. It it walks away. It's, It's when you're not around that person for a period of time, guess what? It just fades away. You know, when I was in high school, I had a lot of friends. I said, Bill, I love you. I'm always there for you. I'll always be by your side. Then I graduated from high school. Guess what? Where'd you go? I don't see you anymore. And then I went to college. And even there, people who meant well, who who said, Bill, I love you. I'm always going to be by your side. I'll always be there. Guess what? Then I graduated from college. Where'd you go? All throughout my life, through different circumstances, there have been people who said, I love you. But then things faded. Why? Because the love we defined was phileo. It's just more of an acquaintance. Buddy, buddy. Let's hang out. You know, I'm here for you as long as we align. I'm here for you as long as you do what I want you to do. Whatever it may be. You've had people in your life like that. Acquaintances, work friends, whatever it may be. And this is the type of love that we have transformed in our world today. But this is not the love that God's talking about when he says, do you love me? See, the other love, the Greek word for love that's used in the New Testament is agape. Agape love. This is unconditional. This is, you are my everything. This is, I would give up what I feel is right. I would give up what I want. I would give up what I feel is best for me for you. This is no matter what, you could go away. You could run away from me. We could be distant from each other for years. But you could circle back around and guess what? I'm still here. That's agape love. It doesn't fade away. In fact, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul described what agape love looks like in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And it's an appropriate understanding of what love is all about. When Jesus says, do you love me? It gives an idea, a picture, a painting of what he's talking about. In 1 Corinthians 13, starting with verse 4, the Apostle Paul writes these words. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love, do, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And then the very next word in verse 8, love never fails. That's agape love. And according to what Paul says here, we cannot overlook the significance and the reality of love. It's patience. It's showing kindness even when kindness isn't being shown back. It's rejoicing in the truth. The truth that God's given to us to guide us towards his heart. Who Jesus really is. It's bearing all things, hoping all things, enduring all things. And what agape love is not, it's not envious. 
It's not looking at other people and getting jealous. I want that. I want what they have. That's not agape love. Agape love is not boastful. Agape love is not rejoicing in wrongdoing. It's not celebrating and, and delighting in making bad choices, making evil choices. That's not agape love. It is not arrogance. It is not rude. It is not selfish. It's not me-centered. It's not irritable. It's not resentful. That's not love. And so often... We live in a world that proclaims love, yet their lifestyles and their definition and their attitudes represent everything that is the opposite of agape love. Arrogance, rude, selfishness, irritable, resentful, hate. That's not God's love. God says, do you love me? Am I your everything? See, agape love doesn't fade away like phileo love. Agape is not based on circumstances. Agape love is not based on things in our world and what we want. It never ends. And to be blunt, my friends, to love the Lord is to follow him wherever he leads. To obey him wherever he, whatever he asks. And to trust him whatever the trial. That's agape love. And Jesus saying, do you love me? Do you trust me enough to follow me wherever I lead? Even when you don't always understand it, do you trust me to follow me wherever I lead? Will you obey me with whatever I ask you to do? Will you trust me whatever storm may come? Will you trust me? But so often I feel sometimes our love for him becomes conditional. And our love for Jesus cannot be conditional. You know, our love for Jesus can't be, well, Jesus, I, I really like you. You know, I love you. And, uh, you know, I think it's really cool with your word. Like, I'll, I'll go with like 90% of this stuff. I think that's good. I'm all up for that. But this other 10% that you're saying, like, hey, do this, live this way, act this way, talk this way, whatever it may be. I, can we just kind of toss that out? I mean, I'm good if I do the 90%. I mean, it's still an A, right? I still got kind of an A minus, and that still gets me through school, right? So is that good enough? You know what the Bible says? Jesus said in Revelation... I can't stand lukewarm. I can't stand it. In fact, Jesus said, it makes me throw up. That's scary. Being lukewarm, saying, God, I love you conditionally, says it makes me sick. Jesus says, I want all of you. And he reminds us, hey, guess what? I gave you all of me. I came to this world and died for you. Why are you giving me less? You know, ultimately, agape love is revealed through sacrifice. It's revealed through giving up what seems best for me, what seems right, what may feel right to me for what's best for others. You know, agape love is being able to see beyond what may feel good in the moment for what's best long term. And so often we get side-swiped. Why? Because we think what seems good in the moment, we get blinded to what's best long-term. What's God's best for our life. 
And you know what? The devil is a liar. The Bible calls him the father of lies, the manipulator, the deceiver. From the beginning of time, his ambition was to deceive us, to manipulate us away from God's heart. Into thinking what we want is best. And then we don't give up ourselves for him. To love Jesus is to reflect his love that he gave to us. It's written in 1 John 4, verse 10. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We love because he first loved us. That's why I love him so desperately. Because he revealed himself to me over and over again. He revealed the fact that he loves me so much that he died for me. But you know, sometimes our love fails, doesn't it? Sometimes we fall short and we mess up. We all do that. This is what exactly happened to Peter. Peter was one of the 12 disciples. And, and he was a big talker. Peter thought pretty full of himself. Many times throughout the Gospels. In fact, Peter was constantly boasting, hey, I love you, Jesus. I'm always going to be by your side. I love you more than the rest of these guys. You know, I'm never going to fail you. I mean, the world can come take over, and it's me and you, Jesus, against the world, and I will always be here for you. I'm always going to be by your side. And even when Jesus said, hey, you know, you guys are going to run away from me. I'm going to be arrested soon. No, Jesus, Peter said, I'm always going to be by your side. Then just a few Hours later, when Jesus was arrested, you know the story. He was being accused, mocked, spit on, beaten, and right outside the courtyard was Peter. Peter, who just a few hours earlier was boasting at how great his love was for Jesus. Peter, just a few hours earlier, who was boasting, I will never go against you. I will never deny you. I'll never, I'll always proclaim you, Jesus. Just a few hours earlier, that Peter sat in his courtyard. Wait, you, wait, you're, you know this guy. He said, no, no, I don't. What are you talking about? Wait, you're one of the disciples. No, I'm not. Wait. You are a Galilean. You, you are, you, you've walked with him. I don't know this man. In fact, the language used there, Peter was basically cussing them out at that point. Peter. His love failed. And so often our love fails. But Jesus showed his power. Even while we were still sinners, the Bible says Christ died for us. The world was against Jesus at that moment. All the sin was being piled up in that moment spiritually. And Jesus went to that cross, died the most gruesome death. Why? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. And then he showed his great power over death when he walked out of that tomb. And then not too long after that, Jesus was with the disciples. They're around the sea again. He saw them out fishing. Hey, get some fish. They're over there. They caught the fish, and they were surprised. And they came in, hey, it's Jesus. And they came in, they lit the fire, and they were having a feast with Jesus around the fire. And then after they ate, this happened in John 21, beginning in verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, 
You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John. That's Peter, by the way. Do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And Jesus answered, take my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And at this time, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Jesus started this line of questioning by the simple question to Peter, do you love me more than these? We're not 100% sure of what the more than these really represented. I mean, Jesus could be referencing Jesus, or Peter, do you love me more than you love the disciples? But that just doesn't really seem to align with, with the heartbeat of the text. Jesus could have meant that, Peter, do you love me more than fishing? Your, your livelihood, your, your, what you have to do to survive in life. I mean, that could be it. You know, Jesus constantly saying, you know, am I more important than all the things in this world? But more than likely, what Jesus meant was, Peter, do you love me more than the other disciples do? Almost like a reminder. Hey, remember that night, you know, when, when we were kind of in the garden, and we were, I was trying to ask you to pray, and you kept falling asleep, and I told you they were going to come and arrest me, and you were boasting at how, how great your love is for me, and how it was greater than everybody else, how much you love me, and you're always going to be, hey, you remember that? And then you remember what happened? A little bit after that, and I wonder, just wonder that maybe that's what hurt Peter. That's what disappointed him. Just the realization that what I said didn't really match what I did. My love just was not agape. My love was phileo. And I think he asked the same question for us. And my question with that is, where does Jesus rate on your love meter in life? With everything else you have in your life, work, hobbies, family, you name it. Where does Jesus rate on your love meter? Do you love him more than these other things? That's a challenging question. Because there's a lot of stuff in life that we love desperately. And Jesus is asking, do you love me more than these? And here's the interesting thing as Jesus questioned Peter. He kind of had a play on words here with these two Greek words for love. You see, the first two times Jesus asked Peter, he used the Greek word for love, agape. Peter, do you agape me? And in the first two times, Peter responded, Jesus, yes, you know that I phileo you. You see? Jesus saying, am I your everything? And, Jesus, and Peter's like, hey, Jesus, you know we, we're, we're buddies. We hang out. You know, we're acquaintances. It's real. And then the third time Jesus asked, he changed the form of love to phileo. Peter, do you phileo me? Yes, Jesus. You know I phileo you, Peter said back. And that's when Peter, I think, began to realize, remember his denials. 
remember how he fell short. You see, here's what we see with Jesus talking in his time with Peter. His interaction here where he's saying, Peter, I want you to love me. I want you to be, I want to be your everything. I want you to love me unconditionally. And oh, by the way, if, you, if I'm your everything, it's revealed not in your words. It's revealed in what you do. It's revealed in the choices you make, the lives you live. It's revealed in you trusting me and following me. Peter, agape love requires a denial of self. Giving yourself up for me. And I think just like he's asking Peter, he's saying it to us as well. My friends, do you love me? Agape, am I your everything? Because if I am, it requires a denying of yourself. What you think is right. The answers you think you have. The, 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 the path you think you want to go. Give it to me. Let it go. Jesus said these words in Matthew 16, 24. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and pick up their cross and follow me. You see, here's the deal. Every one of us is on an equal playing field, and that is this. We all have something in our life that we just love too much. Something that we're holding on to. Something that we're clinging to. Whether we realize it's wrong or we think it's okay. There's something in your life that you are holding on to. And Jesus is simply saying, let it go. Just let it go. You are missing out on my best. Because you're unwilling to let it go and the more you hold on to whatever that is the more you miss out on what God has for you his love for you for Peter it was his life maybe it was fear of losing control of the unknown or whatever it may be for Abraham in the Old Testament God challenged him to sacrifice his son Isaac saying this is your everything, but do you love me more than this? Are you willing to let this go for me? And for us today, it could be money, possessions, family, hobbies, maybe a particular lifestyle that you desire, whatever it might be. We're all, we all have something that God's saying, let it go. You're missing out on the love I have for you. You're clinging on to something that's not best for you. You are living uh, to please yourself, but I have something better for you. Something that Jesus says is great for this world and even for all eternity. He's saying, do you love me? Am I your everything? And just like he was looking at Peter in the eyes on that day around the sea, I feel he's looking right into our hearts. If you love me, Deny yourself. Deny what you think you want. Whatever that thing is that you're holding on to, let it go. Follow me. See who you are in me. You know, to love Jesus 
is to love him unconditionally. It's not based on emotion. It's not based on passions. It is a deliberate, deliberate choice to act in a certain way. This isn't in your notes, but Jesus said in John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will follow me. You see, he's saying it's a definite and deliberate choice to conduct our lives in such a way that our devotion to him is proved not by our words, but by our actions, by our obedience, by our life. We portray who we love and who we follow by the choices we make every single day. Every day. And I think along with this, God has a follow-up question for us. That follow-up question is, what good is it for you to gain the whole world? I mean, think, what, what good is it really for you to get everything this world has to offer? Everything this world has to provide. You could have a mansion, all the fancy cars. You could have 20,000 acres of land. You, you name it. You could have it all. But what good is it? To be more blunt, what good is it to focus on making ourselves happy in this world at the cost of everything for all eternity? Jesus put it this way in Matthew, or I'm sorry, Mark chapter 8, verse 36. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? This world doesn't last. What good is it to gain all the pleasures of this world if you've lost everything else? Like I said, Satan is the manipulator, the father of lies, the deceivers. And you know what he really wants to do? What he's done so successfully for so many of us in our society today? He wants us to believe his deceptions, to create our own world of fantasies. If I can create the world I want within my own mind, make my own reality, I think I will be happy. You know, a couple years ago, my boys raised up some money and they bought for themselves a virtual reality game set, a VR. And they're like, Dad, try it out. And so I tried out for the first game time and we had the Star Wars game and I put it on and man, I was, I was kicking it. I was, I was taking down those bad guys, the stormtroopers left and right. I mean, I was amazing. And guess what happened? I got so consumed in the fantasy world that I was in that I forgot the reality of where I actually was. And all of a sudden, I was going for the kill shot. I had this stormtrooper right in my locks, and I went in with my, my lightsaber, and all of a sudden, bam, it happened. I slammed my fist right into our entertainment center, and I was down for the count. I thought I busted my hand up big time. It hurt so bad. I had a rude awakening at that moment. Just for a moment, I thought I was in this whole other world. And then reality hit. And sadly, too many of us have created our own realities. The lives that we want. The things that feel right. The emotions that we want to run with. And we think this is good. 
And we think it's good because we, the devil has manipulated our mind into creating our fantasy, our own reality. But I promise you something. Sooner or later, we will come into recognition of the reality we're actually in. One day, like me slamming the entertainment center, reality's gonna slam its ugly head through our fantasy world. And in that moment, we just realize, what good was it to gain this world, what this world says is right, yet forfeit my soul? You know, Jesus went on right after he said those words, in the next couple of verses, Jesus said this in Mark 8. But what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them, of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. That's the scary verse. And sometimes, you know, I read those verses and it's so much easier to, you know, say, I'm going to fantasy world. I don't want to read that verse. But God's, Jesus is being very blunt here. If you turn your back on me, if you're ashamed of me, then I'll be ashamed of you. I'm not interested in secret friends. You know, think about it. We talked a few weeks ago about the reality of death and, and eternity and heaven and hell. And, you know, one day, one day, we're going to be at the same spot. The Bible calls it the day of judgment. Our chance to see God face to face, either the day we die or he comes back, that day's a coming. And in that moment, you know, we stand before God and flashing through our minds is our life. You know, the reality of the choices we make and the brokenness it created for us and for others. And in that moment, God's, I kind of picture God's going to have this question. Why should I let you into my kingdom? Why should I let you into my house? And in that moment, you know, we have the opportunity to look to Jesus. Because well, he, he paid the price. He died for me. He's the ransom. He gave it up for me. But then what breaks my heart for so many that created fantasy, that focused so much on this world, that did not love Jesus back. What this verse is saying is at the moment we look for God, we look to Jesus to seek him for the mercy. In a moment, Jesus is like, what are you looking at me for? I don't know you. I didn't, you. You didn't know me in the world. You were completely ashamed of me your whole life. I don't know you. In that moment, we just realized I lost everything. That scares me. My friends, God's not interested in being our secret friend. He gave all of his love to us when he sacrificed on the cross 
and constantly thereafter. And he asks, will you love me back the same? I've given everything to have a relationship with you. More than anything, I want you to have a relationship with me. I want you to experience my love, my goodness, my blessings now and for all eternity. But all too often, sometimes, many people have given up on Jesus for a lie. A lie that Satan has manipulated. A lie that this world is better than what God has to offer for all eternity. That maybe, just maybe, this is all of our gain. And we miss out. We miss out. And I think he looks at all of us directly into our hearts. He's got one question. Do you love me? Am I your everything? Is your my everything? And he's not stopping chasing us. He's not. The question is, will you, whatever it is in your life, will you just let it go? Deny yourself. Deny whatever you're clinging on to. Follow him and see what he has for you. He loves you desperately. He just wants you to love him back. Let's pray together. Father, in this moment we seek you. Lord, it's so often we've allowed ourselves to love other things. Other things have become more important to us have captured our hearts. But Lord God, in this moment, I pray you help us to let those go. Lord, you know who that is in this room right now. That maybe they know they need to let it go. And Lord, just help them to take that step. Lord, there may be some here right now that they're clinging so tightly they don't even realize they need to let it go don't even know what that is or maybe they've convinced themselves that whatever that is is not really that bad but Lord God I pray for your conviction on us may you speak to us and Lord God help us just to let it go and follow you in your name we pray amen